Well, hey, we are going to be getting into a sermon series in just a little bit that was voted on last year at Easter time, Resurrection Sunday time. We put out some surveys. What would you like to hear? What are some questions that you have? And there were actually quite a number of end times questions. Uh, And so an end times series is where we're going. You asked for it. So we're going to do an end time series. Not really an end times eschatological sort of guy, but uh, boy, there's all kinds of great stuff in the scriptures about what's coming in the future. And so it's an interesting topic, something that we want to dig into because it's important stuff. Even though it's not my area of expertise, we're going to go into looking at end times things. So let's pray. We're going to start a new series called When It's All Said and Done. I studied philosophy. I enjoyed studying philosophy after I became a Christian. I wasn't really sure how to organize my thoughts. And so I went into studying philosophy uh, as a a new born-again believer. And I don't suggest that for a lot of people, but for me, it worked out really well. And one of the people that I very much enjoyed, one of the philosophers was Rene Descartes. Uh, If you know about Cartesian coordinates, things like that, Rene Descartes, mathematician, philosopher from France. And uh, so anyway, he had his meditations. And in his meditations, he was trying to answer this simple question. What do we know for sure? And he went through, you know, a bunch of thought processes to try to figure out what we know for sure. And, you know, he thought, well, I've had dreams before where I thought it was real. So maybe right now I'm having a dream and I think it's real. I mean, I really don't think so, but boy, that's happened before. So it's possible. What do I 100% know for sure? And so he came up with the phrase, I think, therefore I am. He's saying, I know I exist. If I'm wrong about everything else, that thing that's wrong is me and I exist. I think, therefore I am. Just a root truth that must be. I think, therefore I am. And then he tried to build off of that to construct a reality that could be trusted. And I think when we look at end times things, I want to look at it from that perspective. There are some things that biblically we just know for sure. This is what the Bible says. It's not really up for debate. There isn't really any question as far as uh, biblical interpretation, unless you're not going to take the Bible as authoritative you know, then maybe you can throw these things out. But if we're standing on the scriptures, there are certain things that we know for sure. And then there's other things that we kind of speculate on. We sort of make guesses about, we have conjecture. And we're going to talk about both of those categories, the things we know for sure, and some conjecture, some things like that. But what we need to make sure when we're talking about end times things is that we don't get those two confused. You know, if if we know something for sure, and then we just kind of let it fade into the maybe world, that's not a good place to be. And if we're kind of guessing on something, but we pretend we know it for sure, that's not so great either. So as we go through this, you know, uh, this series, when it's all said and done, talking about the things coming in the future, you know, to finish off this this world, this reality, uh, when we're talking about that, Some things we know, some things we don't, and we need to try to be conscious of what those things are. Our first thing that we're going to talk about, which is something that we know that is biblically solid, and that is simply this, Jesus is coming back to this earth. Jesus is coming back here. This is something that we know. The second coming of Christ will happen in the future. Jesus has not returned yet. 
He was here the first time, baby in a manger, grew up, lived a sinless life as our example, died on the cross as our substitute, and was, you know, was raised to life as in overcame death. And so all this amazing stuff, Jesus was here. They were looking forward to the Messiah. Now we're on the other side, but we look forward to the second coming of the Messiah, the return of Christ. So this is something that biblically speaking is a for sure. Jesus is coming back. Our last series, Saul to Paul, our vision series, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, among other things in our last installment of that series. And here the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. He's talking about, you know, he's at the end of his life and he is, you know, kind of looking back at it. And we see verses seven and eight. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Isn't that interesting? You know, we, we covered that in pretty good detail, but not the phraseology of the last part of that verse eight. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, all who have eagerly anticipated the second coming of Christ, all who have longed for his appearing. So here, Paul, just in passing, looking back at his life and talking about the reward he'll get for serving Jesus in this life, he says, you know, and I'm not the only one who's going to get rewards. I'm not the only one who's going to get, you know, these beautiful, wonderful things from God. Everybody who's longed for the second coming is going to get those too. It's interesting the way he phrases that. You know, he doesn't say, you know, not only to me, but also to all who believe or to all who serve or to all who follow Jesus. You know, those, those would all be great answers, you know. But since he says longed for his appearing, it just shows how pervasive the expectation of the return of Christ was. In New Testament times, they were quite sure that Jesus was coming back very, very soon. And when we see great revivals, usually there is an expectation of the return of Christ being imminent. It's like, it's time now to get right with God. It's time. And there are great revivals that happened over a hundred years ago. The, uh, the Pentecostal revival that happened in the early 1900s, that was you know, brought about by an amazing move of God, the Holy Spirit, but also an expectation of the re return of Christ. They're like, this, these are the last of the last days. Jesus is coming back maybe on Thursday. You know, like they were expecting Jesus to come back really any time. And so there was great urgency. And that urgency of the New Testament, the urgency of times of great revival oftentimes happens because people are acutely aware that this could be the last day. Tomorrow, Jesus could be here, maybe in the middle of the night tonight. We got to be ready. There was a sense of urgency and imminence to the return of Christ, and that motivated people. It, it brought revival. And now, I don't know that Jesus is coming back in the next couple days. But the reality is, is Jesus could come back anytime. It could be the last day today or tomorrow. Or I mean, I'm anticipating it'll be longer than that. I'm saving for retirement, you know, all the stuff uh, and trying to, to 
make a long-term plan and all these different things, but also it's good to be ready for Jesus to come back today. Be ready. Having an understanding of the imminence of the return of Christ is very important. It was something that was pervasive in the New Testament. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We see uh, more talk about the uh, the return of Christ. We're going to start in verse 3. We'll read through uh, to verse 13, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So they're talking about how it's been so long, you know, like that Jesus has not returned yet. Ah, oh, it's it's been so long, it's probably never going to happen. And this was, you know, I don't know when this was written, 1950 years ago, something along those lines, a long time ago, Second Peter was written, and it was really... You know, they were thinking, when is Jesus going to come back? You know, in the in the the last days, there's going to be scoffers that are going to come and say, ah, this isn't even going to happen. You know, talking about the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ continues on. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Talking about Noah's flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So water destroyed the ancient world at Noah's flood. Here, Peter says that it's going to be fire the next time that wipes everything out. You know, thinking of like nukes or, or I don't know, global warming. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's talking about fire. Fire is the thing that comes the next time around. Verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here we see the heart of God in the midst of all of these things that, yeah, okay, it's been a long time. We've been waiting for Jesus for a long time. You know, Paul was eagerly anticipating the appearance of Christ, but he knew, you know, okay, he's not going to be alive when Jesus comes back. He's being poured out like a drink offering. Paul knew like his life is going to be over. People were thinking, wow, this is taking longer than I thought. And here, uh, Peter explains the heart of God in it. It's not that, that he's slow. It's that God wants everyone to go to heaven. He wants everyone to repent, to be forgiven of their sins to have everlasting life. That's what he wants for everybody. And that's what Peter is talking about here. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, talking about the second coming of Christ. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Next verse. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So 
here in this section of scripture in second Peter, very much talking about the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. It says, you know, there's going to be scoffers going to make fun of that. There's all this destruction, you know, the fire that destroys everything. That day is going to come like a thief. Fortunately, there's a new heavens and a new earth that's going to be revealed through that. I think it's very important. Verse 11, you know, what do we do while we're waiting? You know, if if we're waiting for the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, what do we do? You know, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Live right, holy and godly lives waiting for the day of the Lord and speeding its coming. Is that possible? Can we speed the coming of the day of the Lord? I don't know. Maybe that's in that like speculation area. All right. And then again, we talked about the heart of God in all this, that he doesn't want anyone to perish. It's not God's will that anyone perish. Jesus died for the sins of everybody. So anyone can come and receive forgiveness of sins, new life in Christ, have a a Lord to serve in Jesus, and then have everlasting life. Anyone can have that if they want it. You can have that if you want it. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. You can have that if you want it. If you don't want it, it's not going to be forced on you, but the choice is yours. The opportunity is there. You can turn to Christ, serve the Lord, receive forgiveness and everlasting life if you want it. Now, Paul and Peter were quite convinced that Jesus was coming back. How did they get under that impression? You know, I mean, we see that very clearly here in the sections that we've read already. How did they get under that impression? Now, just a side note here for a little bit. This is different in its feel to, you know, when we die, we go to heaven. This is, you know, at any point, Jesus could return. The second coming of the Messiah, at any point, Jesus could come back. That's a different feel than at the end of my life, you know, then then I'll go be with Jesus. Well, if he doesn't come back and you get to the end of your life and you're a follower of Jesus, you believe, then you get to go be with Jesus. But here, the the thought is Jesus is coming back. He's coming here. You know, he's definitely, he's got to go to the Holy Land for sure. But I mean, what if Jesus came to New York, you know, or Chicago, uh, you know, I, you know, wouldn't that be something? Jesus there. He's coming back to this earth. He is returning here. And that's just an amazing thing. So how did Paul and Peter get under that impression? Well, Let's go to Acts chapter 1. The angels at the ascension told that to the disciples, to the apostles. Now, we're going to start in verse 3, because I think it's good to get a feel for this, what it all looks like. And uh, so we're going to start in Acts 1, verse 3. After his suffering, talking about Christ's death on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So this is talking about the, the resurrected Christ, Jesus risen from the grave, presenting himself to the believers so that they realize that Jesus is alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes 
and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends, he floats up into the sky, and it in, is hidden by a cloud, and they're all like, what? And then the angels are there, the two men dressed in white. They're like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you think this is something? Wait till he comes back the same way. You know, riding on the clouds, Jesus returning, second coming of Christ. So they heard it from these two angels here as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 1. And then Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about his return over and over again. I'm not sure how well they understood what was going on because, again, they didn't really understand that Jesus was going to die and be uh, resurrected. They didn't really get that. And so then the picture of the second coming of Christ, I'm not sure what they thought when Jesus was talking about these things, but he sure did talk about them. So we're going to go to Matthew. Uh, chapter 24. And we're going to work our way through this. Uh, It's going to take us probably a a couple weeks to get through Matthew 24. You know, there's just some really important things there. And so we're going to work through that today. We're going to try to get to verse 14, 24, 1 through 14. We'll see if we get the whole way. But these are just some very important end times things that Jesus explains. You know, this isn't John from Revelation. You know, it's not Peter. This is Jesus explaining these things. And so I think like, I don't know, I love the whole Bible, but when it's the words of Jesus, I kind of pay a little bit more attention. So let's see what Jesus had to say, say, starting in uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 1. We'll read 1 through 14, just read through the whole thing, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So here we go. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his dis- when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So whole bunch of stuff there. Let's kind of look at this. So verses one through three. The disciples ask, when is the end going to come? You know, when is your coming? When is the end of the age? And again, what, what did they mean? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age from verse three? Maybe they meant his coming into power, his coming into his authority as the Messiah. I don't know. I'm not sure that they had pictured in their head the second coming of Christ, the way that we picture it coming in on the clouds 
I'm not sure if that was something that they had in their in their understanding or not, but they asked Jesus, you know, how's this all going to work? What can we look for to know that it's about time? Great question. And then Jesus goes at into length. There's much more than what we just read. The whole chapter is about, about these end times things. So let's look and see what else. So he starts, Jesus starts his answer with verses four and five. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, Messiah and will deceive many. His opening thought is don't be deceived. Don't let people fool you. Don't let somebody say something and then you go ahead and just believe what they say. That's how he opens. You know, that's an interesting way to open because Jesus knows that he's only going to be there for uh, a little while longer and that they're going to have to be smart enough to listen to the right sources to not be fooled by people. And so he opens with, don't let yourself be deceived. Watch out. That's what he opens with. And this is hugely important. You know, especially when it comes to end time stuff, you want to be careful who you listen to. You want to make sure that you're not getting into somebody's guesses and thinking that this is 100% solid truth. Hey, it's fine to speculate. It's fine to guess. That's cool. But let's stand on the things we know for sure. We know for sure Jesus is coming back. A lot of the details we don't know for sure. So he says, watch out that no one deceives you. And it's so important. I remember um, not, you know, 10 years ago, it was 2011. So uh, 11 years ago, Harold Camping, he's a guy that got everybody to cash in their retirements and buy billboards. And they were caravanning around saying that end is going to come 2011. You know, it was like May and October were important dates. And, and, but it didn't happen. A bunch of people lost their retirements and it was just, it was an embarrassment. Now I believe that Harold Camping was actually honest and trying to do the right thing. I just think he was just wrong. And he was wrong in that he didn't see the clear indication that we don't know when it's going to happen. That's, you know, we haven't really read much about that yet, but we don't know when Jesus is coming back. This is one of the things we know for sure is that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We'll talk about that more as the series goes on because, you know, we don't need to be surprised. You know, we can see the signs, but we're not going to know exactly when it's going to happen. So that was something that, that Harold Camping back then said, you know, oh man, I messed up on this. And so I think he was honest, but he did deceive a lot of people and he hurt a lot of people. And it was an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. And then how much more about like actual bad people, you know, actual false messiahs, actual charlatans, actual scam artists, you know, how much more so do we need to watch out for them? But whatever, all this messed up stuff, it just shows that Jesus' prophecy here that many will be deceived has come to pass. We don't want to be the ones who are deceived. We need to be very careful. Let's build on our knowledge base and don't go flying off into, you know, fun end times fantasies. Let's stand on solid ground. Jesus is coming back. Don't let anyone deceive you. Then uh, the next few verses are kind of along the same lines of like, hey, a bunch of stuff is going to happen. It's not time yet. Jesus, I'm, I'm sure he had a sense that it, you know, because he didn't even know the times or the dates, but I'm sure he knew it wasn't going to be in three weeks. So he says this in verses six through eight, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but 
Don't be alarmed. Stuff like that's going to happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. He's like, look, it's going to be a long, long time. Going to be famines and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And it's going to be a long, long time. Don't get all worked up. There's going to be these events that happen that are going to be misinterpreted as signs of the end of the age. And so Jesus warns them it's going to be a long time. So he starts off his dialogue with watch out for false, you know, false prophets, false teachers. Don't let anyone deceive you. And then he goes into, and when you're looking for signs, don't think it's right around the corner, you know. Of course, now it's been 2,000 years, so maybe it is right around the corner. But he's telling them, look, it's not right around the corner, so just relax. And then the next verse, verse 9, he talks about a great persecution. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. That's a rough prophecy there from Jesus. But it certainly happened, it, you know, even in New Testament times there was great persecution. And that's ebbed and flowed throughout history. You know, there's been uh, religious persecution, you know, just like with all kinds of different groups of people and all kinds of yuck out there. But there's been persecution against the people of God, you know, from Old Testament times to New Testament times to the present times. And in different cultures, there's an ebb and flow with that. Sometimes there's a, a privilege given to people who are followers of Jesus, sometimes there's great persecution. There's an ebb and flow with that. And, you know, in, in the United States, I am thankful for religious freedoms. You know, I, I'm not sure that religious freedom is something that we're going to hang on to for another hundred years, but I hope so. It's a tremendous privilege, a tremendous blessing to live in a land that has religious freedom. But the potential here is for more persecution in the future. So that's something Jesus describes when talking about the end. And then persecution can have an effect on people. And Jesus goes through here four things that will come from persecution, but that you and I need to avoid. Okay? Four things here that we read in chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, that come from persecution that we want to make sure to avoid. The first one is many will turn away from the faith. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Persecution, difficulty, hardship can make you turn away from the faith. And that's something we want to avoid. We don't want to be shallow soil Christians. We don't want to be people who can't stand up under hardships, but we want to be able to keep the faith, you know? And of course, in the United States, we're seeing a lot of people turn away from Jesus. And it's not so much for persecution reasons. I mean, maybe your friends make fun of you or whatever, but it's not like, persecution. But I think it's more about just kind of boredom and pointless religion and that sort of a thing. People are losing their connection uh, with Jesus because it's just sort of boring, pointless religion. So we don't want to do that. We want to hold on to our faith and we want to see through religion to God and grab hold of the good things of God. And then it says the second thing that comes from persecution, you know, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Hurt people hurt people. You know, people who are hurting on the inside, who are broken on the inside, tend to damage other people. They hurt other people. And so if there's persecution, there's hardship in the church, then there's going to be infighting. And so Jesus says that they're going to betray and hate each other. This is believers betraying and hating each other. That means that the church is going to be divided. The body of Christ is going to be broken apart. 
And this has certainly happened for a variety of reasons, but uh, the, the church has been broken apart. And so we see that that's already happened. There is division in the body. Then uh, the next thing that's happening there in this time of persecution, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So we get this again. Jesus was warning against people deceiving you at the beginning of this dialogue. Now here, a little ways in, he's doing it again. Watch out for false prophets. You know, they're going to deceive many. So here's the deal. If somebody leads you to Jesus, helps you follow and worship God, helps you to learn how to walk in the ways of the, the word of God, then good. But if they are more important or their church or theology or denomination is more important than Jesus, if they talk about somebody whose name is not Jesus more than they talk about Jesus, then you have a problem and you need to watch out for false prophets who are deceiving many. So there you go. I'll leave it at that. And then the next one, this is so, I don't know, verse 12 to me is just a powerful verse, but it's heartbreaking. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That means is there's darkness and evil and harshness and yuck. And so the love of most will grow cold. In this environment of evil, the love of most will grow cold. This is a failure to overcome evil with good. We need to overcome evil with good, not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's a challenging thing to do. It's very challenging when there's evil and darkness and and yuck. It can infect our hearts. People will step away from loving God, loving their brothers and sisters in Christ, loving their neighbor, having the spiritual strength to love their enemies. People will slip away from that as they deal with the wickedness and darkness of the world. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want to have that be us. We want verse 13 to to be us. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. We want to stand firm to the end. Amen. That's where we want to be. I think this is the sort of thing that I love about the end times. Stand firm to the end. I may not know what's going to go on, but I'm going to grab Jesus by the ankles as hard as I can. I'm going to hang on until all the dust clears and I'll be in the right place. That's kind of my uh, eschatological perspective. But stand firm to the end. Don't turn from the faith. Don't betray and one another and yield to hate. Don't let yourself be deceived by people. Keep love in your heart always. That's what we want. And then the last verse that we read, verse 14, then we'll get into Holy Communion. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, we're only a few years, maybe 10 years away from the Bible being translated in every known language. That's amazing stuff. Maybe this is how we speed the coming of the Lord. I don't know. We'll put that in the speculation category. But one thing I know is we are almost there as far as translating the Bible into every known language. That's amazing stuff. They're on to like people groups of, of hundreds of thousands, not even millions of people. So could it be that we are the generation that will see Jesus come? That'd be something, man. You know, because again, as, as we talked about earlier, it's not just about waiting till you die and then you go be with Jesus, but there will be a chosen generation that is going to see the Lord return. What if that's us? What if Jesus comes on the clouds? Wouldn't that be something? 